reading of God's Word. Jeremiah chapter 4 tonight, our text is verses 5 through 10. Jeremiah chapter 4, verses 5 through 10. I'll read it, and then we'll remain standing in prayer. Declare ye in Judah, and publish in Jerusalem, and say, Blow ye the trumpet in the land. Cry, to, cry gather together, and say, Assemble yourselves, and let us go into the defense cities. Set up the standard toward Zion. Retire, stay not, for I will bring evil from the north and a great destruction. The lion has come up from his thicket, and the destroyer of the Gentiles is on his way. He has gone forth from his place to make thy land desolate, and thy city shall be laid waste without an inhabitant. For this gird you with sackcloth, lament and howl, for the fierce anger of the Lord is not turned back from us. And it shall come to pass at that day, saith the Lord, that the heart of the king shall perish, and the heart of the princes, and the priests shall be astonished, and the prophets shall wonder. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, surely thou hast greatly deceived this people, and Jerusalem, saying, Ye shall have peace, whereas the sword reacheth unto their soul. May God bless his word. Please bow with me in prayer. Father, we thank you that we have your revelation tonight to read, to study, that we have uh, the text that was written long ago as holy men of God, holy men of Jeremiah was moved by the Holy Spirit <coughs> to give your word to Israel. And we know that what things were written aforetime in the Old Testament were for our learning this present day. You have something for us tonight. So, Lord, as we study this text given to your people long ago, help us to make the application Help us to also sound the alarm as uh, they sounded the alarm back then. And, Father, thank you that we today have more clarity of what kind of judgment is ahead, uh, not just for America, Lord, but for the world. And so we ask your blessing. Help us to be watchmen tonight, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. A challenge to think about the words of the songs you're singing. That song, every time we sing it, and we come to verse 3, I always think of Ray Gibbs. Um, many of you know, for, for years we went to the Majesty Music Music College, and Ray and Ann Gibbs were opera singers that got saved out of that uh, opera world and then used their voices for the Lord. And Ray Gibb would, uh, would give, uh, he would do a couple sessions on voice, and I took every one of them, and it didn't help me at all, <laughs> no, but... I remember him with his voice uh, giving an illustration of that verse. Look at verse 3. If, he, if, go, if Open up to 529. And um, he, this, this just, he drove this home so well that when you're singing, you've got to think about the words. And, and he sung verse 3. Uh, like, like some people don't even think of like the punctuation or what's being communicated. And he would sing verse 3 like, because like, look at it, it says, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin. Now, in other words, he's saying, you don't want to sing that like you're, you're saying, and then he would sing with his great voice, he'd say, my sin, oh, the thought, this glorious thought. My sin is if you're, oh, how wonderful my sin is. That's not the glorious thought. The glorious thought is 
My sin not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross. And I'll never forget forget him illustrating that, singing it so powerfully as if he was rejoicing on his sin. And uh, and now every time we sing this song, I think, okay, I got to make sure that I'm I'm realizing what am I singing about? We're singing that our sin not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. That is awesome, isn't it? Anyway, thank you, Ray Gibbs, wherever you are. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 4. And I thank you for joining us tonight. If you're online, thank you for joining us. I'm sure the the rain is causing nobody to want to go to church. That's why you all get extra. That's why all you get a loaf of bread. And uh, those of you that are online probably would rather just be... um, I don't know, opening the front window and just looking at the rain. Thank you for joining us, if there is anybody online. Yes. Yes, go ahead. All right, we're in Jeremiah chapter 4. Good to have you tonight, everyone. So three, uh, no, Jeremiah chapter 4. Jeremiah chapter 4. We're going through the book of Jeremiah And um, tonight we are going to look at verses 5 through 10. The title of the message is The Alarm. Last week we ended with verse 4. So look at Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 4, where Jeremiah, God through Jeremiah, exhorted the people. He said, circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Uh, Now, as you know, circumcision was a, a physical operation that would be done on young boys. But he is using this as an illustration that our heart needs surgery, uh, that the, the hard part of our heart needs surgery. And he says, uh, take away the foreskins of your heart, ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. And this, this just goes along with everything he's been preaching, that they needed to turn back to the Lord. They needed to turn away from their sin. They needed to return to Yahweh. And then he says, Less, in the middle of verse 4, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn that none can quench it because of the evil of your doings. Now, as you all know, the time in history was prior to the Babylonian captivity. At one time, Israel had been a united nation. Then it divided. Remember, under first under Saul, then under David, then under Solomon, it was one kingdom. Then there was a sharp division, northern and southern kingdoms, Judah and Israel, each run by different kings, with a long history, each of them, uh, both both nations had their problems. One more than other, the other had wicked kings, and God challenged them even before they went into the promised land. Do not worship the false gods of the Canaanites. You know we are in a covenant relationship. They went into into the promised land, and they worshipped the gods of the nations. And so God sent prophets. He always does sends people to warn them to turn to him, and he's so, our God is so long-suffering. He is so willing to forgive, and, and, he, and he gives us time to repent. And he did that for Israel, the, the, one, the, the, the northern tribes of Israel. He warned them and warned them with prophets, and they did not listen, so he sent judgment in the form of Assyria. And that had already happened now. So the, the, the northern kingdom already into, into captivity, and now God is speaking through Jeremiah, the last long, you know, major prophet to warn the people of Judah. And he even used, remember, the, uh, they were like two sisters. 
And, and he used Israel as an example. Look what happened to them. It's going to happen to you. And so Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, uh, and he was a weeping prophet because he, he shed a lot of tears. He was warning them. He was, he was, you can imagine a lot of people thought, oh, he's just a negative. He's just a naysayer. You know, this guy's just all negative. But his heart was broken because God's heart was broken because he wanted the people, you're worshiping these false gods. You're involved in the, all the sexual immorality that goes with that. It's, you know, I'm like, you, you, you're like an unfaithful wife. And, uh, and so now he's warning them. And he challenges them regarding their heart in, in verse 4. Lest his fury come forth like fire and burn that none can quench it. When we provoke God while he is long-suffering, he is just. He is a just God. Don't ever forget that. All those people I just mentioned preached a message recently. Uh, I forget what it was called, but it was about, you know, uh, these agnostics that are constantly, you know, they say, I cannot in good conscience worship a monster because they see all the injustice that's going out in the, on in the world. And they're like, if God is good and God is just, why is he allowing this to happen? And so they write him off. They condemn him because they think, well, if there is a just God, he hasn't executed justice. And he hasn't. But they fail to see that, hey, that applies to you too. You know, you, you who are demanding justice and shaking your fist and saying, well, if you're up there, God, you haven't judged anyone, so you must not exist. And someday God's going to say, okay, I hear you. And he's going to judge the world. And those people are not going to be going, yay, finally, because the judgment's going to fall on them too. They're looking at everyone else. God, judge them, judge them, judge them. That's why you and I need to judge ourselves. And that's what, what Jeremiah's message to Judah was. Judge yourself. God's waiting. He doesn't want to judge you. Look at your sister Israel. Look what happened to them. And it's going to happen to you too. And uh, in fact, you might remember in, in chapter 1, we opened up in verses 13 and 14 with two visions. And one of the vision was of a boiling pot that was going to pour out boiling water and, and, and judgment from the north. And, and what we're reading tonight now is that fulfillment. So beginning in verse 5, there seems to be a, a break in thought. And now in verse 5, we ended that previous section which, by the way, based upon the poetry, um, it's laid out that we know it's in different sections, even though our Bibles are just verse by verse by verse by verse. Uh, this now moves us into a different section. And in verse 5, they sound the alarm. Declare ye in Judah and publish in Jerusalem, not publish books. This is a, the, a call to the watchman, like the guard that's up there on the, on the press, you know, on the, the guard tower, watching for the enemy. And now God is saying, it's time to sound the warning. Declare ye in Judah, publish in Jerusalem, and say, blow ye the trumpet in the land. That's the shofar that they would blow uh, to signal warning. And cry, uh, cry, cry, gather together, and say ye, assemble yourselves, and let us go into the defense cities. There is an enemy coming. Judgment is coming. Set up the standard. In other words, the flag, the banner. We're just saying the banner of the cross. And it's a picture of military conflict. And, you know, get the, 
Get the, get the, pull the flags out because we are going to battle. Set up the standard toward Zion. Retire, stay not, for I will bring evil from the north. This is clearly a call that judgment, that God has now given them opportunity. And at this point, now remember, Jeremiah is not laid out chronologically. It goes all over the place. Many believe that Jeremiah, these are different parts, different times and messages in Jeremiah's life that he put together later in life. And so it's, it's really hard to, to figure out the chronology. And Jeremiah had a ministry of decades. Um, but here, uh, clearly, this is a time now where he's, God is saying, okay, you had your chance. Now judgment's going to come. It's going to tell us later on how it's going to come. From the north, we now know it was Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, and God came down, judged, his, judged Judah, uh, destroyed them, brought them into captivity, into Babylonian captivity for many, many years. And so now he's telling them, it's coming. You know, it, it's very common for God to challenge his servants that they need to give a message that's not popular. That's what, they, that's what he would call the watchman. In fact, he called uh, Ezekiel. They had a very similar ministry at a, a little different time than Jeremiah did. But listen to what God said to, to Ezekiel, which Jeremiah would, was also the same thing. In Ezekiel 3.17, both Ezekiel chapter 3 and Ezekiel chapter 33 are great passages about the watchman. He says in verse 17, Son of man, that was Ezekiel's name, or nickname, one that God would call him. Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. He could say, he would say, could say to Jeremiah, I have made thee a watchman to the house of Judah. Therefore, hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. And then in verse, in chapter 33, and he goes on, I'll explain in a minute. Chapter 33, O thou son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word of my mouth and warn them. And here's what he said in both chapters. Just like a watchman. Imagine that you are, you are the, the soldier up in the tower protecting the city. And you look at the horizon. You look at the field. And what are you doing? Back then you're looking for enemy soldiers. You're looking for other troops. And so one day you're just doing your normal guard duty. And you look out and you see a, a mass of humanity descending upon your city. And you get out the binoculars, which they, I don't think they had binoculars back then, but you do that today. And you look, or you just strain your eyes until they get closer. Maybe you, maybe you sound a, a, a temporary warning like, something's coming, be ready. And then as they get closer, he makes out that they're soldiers and they're carrying swords and they're ready for battle. Then, what would a good watchman do? Well, he'd take his break, right? I mean, he made a beautiful lunch that morning, and that'd be a great time to eat it. No. He would shout and, and warn the people. He would blow the trumpet. He would, he would, his responsibility, one man or one person, the lives of all those people in that city were in that man's hands. And if he gave the warning, how whatever they did to respond, he did his job. It's a very serious job. Can you imagine if a, a man, it, it's, you know, you've been hearing a lot about the Titanic. Tragic, by the way, that, just that whole thing fascinates me. The whole Titanic just, just fascinates me. 
But you remember the story, the man in the crow's nest, I forget his name. But it was, you know, he saw the iceberg probably too late. And what did he do? He gave warning. And Captain Smith apparently didn't realize the gravity of the situation. Uh, I understand that he had several warning notes in his pocket. Um, that, he, you know, he didn't take it as seriously as he should have. But whoever that man was in the crow's nest, he issued the warning. So those 1,500 souls uh, were not on his hands, and yet I think that man died as well. But if you're the watchman, you only have one major job, and it is huge. If you don't sound the warning, and this is what God tells Jeremiah in chapter 3 and chapter 33, if you don't give the warning and, and the enemy comes and kills the people in the city, their blood's going to be on your hands. But if you give the warning and they don't do anything to prepare and they all die, your, their blood is not on your hands. That, you know, and that's their responsibility. That's the job of a watchman. And that was Ezekiel's job. God was saying to Ezekiel, I am going to judge my people, Israel, and, and you need to tell them. Oh, but Lord, it's not going to be popular. It doesn't matter. I'm going to judge my people. Your job is to warn them. If you don't warn them and they die, their blood will be on your hands. If you do warn them and they don't take heed, you are free from their blood. Now, you know what? I'm convinced that that was not just for Israel and for an Old Testament prophet. I believe there are implications of that down through the ages. And I'm convinced that the Apostle Paul understood that to apply to New Testament believers. Because in Acts chapter 20, Jerem or, um, Paul was in Ephesus, and he said to them, I am free from the blood of all men. Why? Because I have not held back to declare unto you all the counsel of God. In fact, in chapter 20, he said that I, I cease not to warn everyone. He said, I went door to door with tears. He, he begged people. He was pleading with them. God is a holy God. He's going to punish sin. And so he could say, Paul could say, just like Jeremiah could say, I am free from the blood of all men because he warned them. Ezekiel warned them. In fact, in, um, in Jeremiah chapter 6, we'll get to this, probably have a whole message on this idea of the watchman. Uh, tonight it's just on the alarm. But in Jeremiah 6 and verse 17, God says, Also I set watchmen over you, saying, Hearken to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, We will not hearken. Wow. So, you and I, let's look at this tonight. You and I have an alarm to sound. Because we have a Savior who came and died for the sins of the whole world. And, and men are in danger of eternal judgment because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus Christ came. He took your sin. He took my sin. And he paid that penalty. But that doesn't mean everyone automatically goes to heaven. We must repent of our sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, for 17 years, I had a head knowledge. Every Sunday, I would repeat that Jesus died for the sins of the world. I knew the story inside and out, but it made no impact on me because I did not realize that it wasn't about what I did. It's about what he did. So while I knew the story up here, I, I was doing my best to try to earn my way to heaven. And it was only when I was 17 and my watchman, my watchman was John Caputo, came to a Bible study. No, he, he was a manager at a spa. Many of you know this. And I was in high school, and one of my classmates stood up and said, Hey, everybody, the local health spa is going to open up on Saturday morning for two hours 
and anyone from our high school can go and work out for free. Can you imagine that? Now, it will surprise you to know that I was really into working out back then. And, uh, and, and I'm like, I can't, we can't. My friends and I are like, free workout? You get to use the whole spa for free. And this was a spa in Westchester that had a spa, had a pool, had free weights. It had everything, eucalyptus room, sauna. It was incredible. We thought it was too good to be true. And by the, by the way, spas were not like, you know, nine ninety nine special like Planet Fitness. This, it was a lot of money. My friends are like, you think it's true? You think this is you think you think there's a catch? So we went there and the manager comes in. He says, come on in. Two hours. It's yours. And so we're like, we're working out all excited about it. And then John Caputo is a power lifter, comes up, bulging muscles. He says, hey, thanks for coming today. He probably didn't sound like that. And he says, um, we want you to come back. We're going to do this every Saturday. No way. And he says, and we'd like for you to stay after a little bit for a Bible study. Ah, woo! you know, there's the there's the catch. No free lunch. And we're like, oh, I knew there was a catch. It was too good to be true. And we thought, well, you know what? Two hours of working out, 10 minute Bible study, whatever. I think it's worth it. So we started going and, you know, we got to work out free. And then we sat through the boring Bible study, uh, you know, but it dawned on it dawned on me after a few weeks because I had religion already. I was going to church. After a few weeks, I began to realize that, you know what, what he's preaching is not what I'm hearing growing up. He's saying I got to be born again. Jesus said you must be born again. Wait a minute, I thought it was all my good works, my religious deeds. Folks, it was that during that Bible study doing the free workouts on a Saturday morning that I realized that if I did not get saved, I was a good religious kid who was on his way to hell. Because if you want to get if you want to get to heaven by doing good, guess how good you have to be? Perfect. Right? What does Isaiah 64 6 say? All our righteousness are as filthy rags. Because we're all sinners. In fact, what did I love the this thing that sealed the deal for me was James chapter two. James says, Whosoever shall keep the whole law, and I kept a lot of it. Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point is guilty of all. I was done. So what was John doing? He was sounding the shofar, sounding the trumpet. He was warning me, Hey, you may have religion, but if you don't have Jesus Christ and you're not born again, you're not going to go to heaven. He was my watchman. Now, he told me, and then it was up to me to respond. If, if I, like some of my friends, and I hope some of them, I hope some of the seed was planted in their hearts, but some of them, after a while, they're like, okay, you know, this religious stuff has gotten a little too much. I don't care how much of a workout. I'm done. Uh, and, and, of course, the Lord got my heart. But at least he could say, I am free from the blood of these men. And Jeremiah could say the same thing. You know, we just, we just had Independence Day. So great time for us to, you know, talk about Independence Day. We've all heard about the midnight ride of Paul Revere. Some of us have. Especially there's a famous poem. I forget who it is. Uh, you know, the midnight ride of Paul Revere. But Paul Revere was, Paul Revere was not the only, the only one that shouted the warning that the, the, the British are coming, the Redcoats are coming. But let's talk about his, Paul Revere's ride. Uh, the events of April 18th through 19th, 1775, uh, probably one of the most famous histories about how we got our liberty. 
It began with a horseback ride by Paul Revere and William Dawes. There's another name there. They set out to warn the militias across the Massachusetts countryside of the approaching British troops. And uh, after the alert by Revere had been delivered in Lexington, the local militia, this is how the, this is how the Revolutionary War began. It was mainly, it was largely the militia that fought against the, the very first, first battle of the Revolutionary War. Most of the soldiers came from one church. And on the morning of April 19th, 1775, some 77 Americans would face about 800 British troops. Gunfire was exchanged, and all the casualties were men from that church. But the revolution had begun. And there's so many other stories of men that sounded the warning. Another one that you don't hear too much about. After the Battle of Lexington, that was that one, and Concord, on April 19, 1775, a man named Israel Bissell was ordered to raise the alarm in New Haven, Connecticut. He reached Worcester, Worcester, Massachusetts. Normally a day's ride. It's said that he got there in two hours. And uh, when he arrived, his horse dropped dead, and he had to switch horses. And, um, and then he pressed on April 22nd. He was in New Haven. He gave the warning, the British are coming. Uh, he didn't stop there. Then he rode to New York, arriving on April 24th. Then he stayed in the saddle until he reached Philadelphia the next day. So Bissell's 126-hour, 345-mile ride signaled American militia units throughout the Northeast to mobilize for war. Folks, these men are the watchmen of their, their day. They're the ones that got on the horse. It was different, a whole different scenario than in the Bible where there's a tower and you're defending a city. This was the British are coming, and we had to, we had to go out and warn people. Those men save lives because they gave the warning that the sword is coming. Judgment's coming. And that's what Ezekiel did, and that's what Jeremiah did. And Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. Uh, what a, I don't think you and I understand the, the toll that Jeremiah's job cost him emotionally. He was the weeping prophet because he loved the people. He believed God, and they did not heed the warning. So, the alarm. First, the first point was um, sounding the alarm. Then, in verse eight and following, we see sensing the alarm. This is this is the emotional response. Look at verse eight, Jeremiah chapter four and verse eight. For this gird you with sackcloth. So now the warning's been given. You know, there's battle. The, the enemy's coming. For this, gird put on. With sackcloth, lament, and howl. He's saying, okay, here needs to be, this should be the proper response. Uh, Grieve, lament, howl. For the fierce anger of the Lord is not turned back from us. What I've been warning you about all along is now coming. And it shall come to pass at that day, saith the Lord, that the heart of the king will go on. But the first one is the emotional response. Uh, The challenge is... You need to put on sackcloth. That was your standard. That's what you did in the Old Testament times to demonstrate that you were in mourning. It needed to be seen. Not just, oh, I'm hurting on the inside. Oh, I'm grieving on the inside. Other people needed to see it. So they'd put on sackcloth. They'd put on ash, ashes to let them know uh, that I am affected by this. This is, this is hitting me emotionally. And, and God wanted to see that. Lament, 
How? Why? For the fierce anger of the Lord has not turned back. You know, emotion is something that God has given us. It is not wrong to be emotional. Uh, I've told, I've, I've mentioned to several of you this morning that um, I have not cried yet since my dad died. I've not cried yet since my mom died. And I said, I, I, I feel like I'm in, um, I'm, I'm numb, you know. I mean, everything's going on. I'm just numb. But I also believe that's God's grace, you know, that numbness. And I said, probably it's going to hit me. In fact, I was close this morning. We were singing. What was the first song we opened up with? I, I, anybody? Dave, what was the first song this morning? Do you remember what number that was? 20? Let me see. Let me see. 43? All right, let me see. I might regret even doing this. All right, now, what was, the, what was the next song that we sang? 241. The third verse. I, it, uh, it, Jesus, what a help in sorrow. While the, I'm going to regret this. While the billows o'er me roll, even when my heart is breaking, he, my comfort, helps my soul. And that just... It's like when I'm singing that, I'm like, hey, your mother just died. And I almost, which would not have been good. If I started weeping, have you ever tried to preach when you're like bawling your eyes out? Not easy. So I don't know if you saw what was going on. There was like tears of conflict. And, and I'm saying to myself, get it together, man. You know, I got to pull it together. Uh, but God's grace is sustaining me right now. But it's not that emotions are wrong at all. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. And I am sure I'm going to have my time when it hits me. But you know what? God wants us. God is a God of emotion. He wants us to emote. Big word today. He wants, he wants us to understand that, that. In fact, I love Hebrews 4.15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like us as we are. God, emotions are not only wrong, God wants us to be emotional. That's why I spoke recently. I, it might have been a prayer meeting. Second Corinthians, you don't need to turn there. Second Corinthians chapter 7, uh, Paul is writing about 1 Corinthians when he wrote them the letter. Chapter 5, he was really used some strong words on them because they were, they were taking sin lightly in their church. Pretty serious sin. And they were glorying in it, whatever that means, when they should have been grieving in it. And so Paul wrote the first letter, and he really laid into them. And now he's writing about it in 2 Corinthians. And he said, though, and he's, first he's talking about the fact that when I wrote that letter, I almost regretted it, is what he's saying. But I don't regret it. But I almost regret it, because it almost, it, it hurt you. I understand it, I understand it hurt you, because I used some strong words, because you needed to get serious about your sin. That's like Jeremiah. Jeremiah's, Jeremiah's not this mean, you know, judgmental, uh, you know, I, I, pointing his finger. He was one of them, and he was feeling their pain. So when Paul wrote that letter, I love this first because he, he shares how he first regretted writing the letter, and then he didn't regret, and then it ended up not harming them because they got the message and they responded right. Sometimes when we rebuke people, people get very bitter. Sometimes it's, not, it's because love was not shown when they were rebuked. Other times it's just because they're, they're hard-hearted. 
And, and that was the risk. That's why Paul struggled. But I love what he said. Uh, he said, you sorrowed to repentance, not to be repented of. And then he uses, he expresses all the things he saw or that they experienced to show their emotion. He says, for behold, this selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort. What carefulness, that's an old English word for worry or anxiety. What carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. Yea, what vehement desire. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge. They, they went through every emotion that tell, told him, we got, we got it. We realize we were so arrogant about this thing, and we are so sorry. There was emotion. And he said, in all things you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. When we love people, especially people that don't have Christ, we warn them. We, we lovingly do as much as we can to share the gospel, as much as they're willing to listen. If we love them, we're going to do that. I read recently about a clown. You ever hear of Bozo the Clown? There was a guy, there was actually a TV show called Bozo the Clown. I think it ran on NBC. Now, we're talking, I think, the 50s. So that was a while ago. But th that guy, whoever did that on the TV, the long series, was not the original Bozo the Clown. There was a guy by the name of Edwin Cooper who actually was part of the Ringling Barnum Brothers. He was a clown then. Uh, he was like the first Bozo the Clown. And um, he be, he, apparently his parents, he came from a long line of circus performers. Bunch of clowns, right? And uh, he began performing when he was nine years old. And um, first with Barnum, then he went with Barnum and Bailey Circus. And, uh, and he was actually in a bunch of movies and a few TV shorts. And uh, he also volunteered his time for the American Cancer Society. And so it's part of, you know, because of his notoriety, uh, and he didn't get paid for this, he would, uh, as part of his job as a volunteer for the American Cancer Society, he would on many occasions do commercials, and he would warn his friends, and he, would just, he was known, he'd say, have you been screened for cancer? And he would say that all the time, you know, do it on commercials. And it, it became so common to him. He told all his buddies, hey, make sure, have you been screened for cancer? Because I care about you. Hey, I love you. Have you been screened for cancer? And, and, you know, that became his mantra. But you know what he never did? He never, got, he, he never got screened for cancer. Guess what he got? Cancer. Guess what he died of at the age of 41? Cancer. And here's a guy that was warning everyone else. Hey, you know, don't forget to get screened. And, and Bozo the Clown didn't even, you know, check, check himself. But, you know, it's so, so important for us, first of all, that we make sure that we take the warning. And, and this is where we, as we get to this last section, it's very interesting because it, you, should, you should read some of the commentaries struggling to be able to interpret verse 10. First, look at verse 9. It shall come to pass at that day, saith the Lord, that the heart of the king shall perish. In other words, his heart is going to fail He's going to lose courage. It's not that he's going to have a heart attack and die. His heart's going to stop. The idea of that is, uh, you know, he's going to lose courage. It's, it's like he's going to have emotional heart failure. The heart of the princes as well. These people are going to lose courage. The people you expect to stand up and defend your country. 
And the priests, the priests are going to be astonished. And the prophets shall wonder. Why are the prophets going to wonder? I'll tell you why. Because the false prophets had a message, a false message. See, here's Jeremiah preaching, judgment is coming. God is going to judge you. He's going to bring judgment from Babylon. Please turn to the Lord. And you got all these, the multitudes of prophets. And they're saying, don't listen to Jeremiah. What, you know what their message was? Peace, peace, safety. In fact, listen to these verses. Jeremiah 6.14, speaking of the false prophets. They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people. Isn't that a good thing to heal people's heart by their message? It can be, but sometimes it's not healing they need. It's warning. And so here's what he says. They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. You know, be like the watchman. And he sees the, sees the troops coming. I mean, massive troops descending upon the town. The, you know, you've got the city with all the gates and the, the, the walls. And you've got a massive troop coming. And you're the only one that sees it. And everyone's in the city having a good time. And every once in a while, someone shouts up, Hey, is everything okay? And it's like you turn around and go, Everything's fine. No problem. Peace. You have, enjoy your day. And he sees the troops coming. He sees judgment. Now, if Jeremiah had preached the message that those prophets preached, peace, peace, he would have been very popular up until the judgment came. And so all the false prophets were saying, peace, peace, when there was no peace. Listen to this, Jeremiah fourteen thirteen. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, the prophets say unto them, Ye shall not see the sword. Neither shall ye have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. That was not the right message. Jeremiah twenty three sixteen. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. They make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart and not out of the mouth of the Lord. They say still unto them that despise me. The Lord has said, you shall have peace. And they say not every one that walketh after the imagination of his own heart. No evil shall come upon you. That's what the false prophets said. By the way, there's a lot of false prophets today that are saying, God is not holy. He's not going to judge anybody. God is just a God of love. He just winks at all of us. God is holy. Now, he is a God of love, but he must punish sin. I close with this. Years back, there was a horrible, horrible train crash, train wreck. And um, it was a train that was loaded with young people who were returning from school. The, uh, the train, actually their train, stalled on suburban track uh, because of something that was known as a hot box. box. I'm not sure what that was. But while they were trying to work out the problem, this train filled with young people was, was had to wait on this track, and uh, a train called the Limited was soon going to be due. They knew that train, the, with the hot box, is, uh, box issue, they knew that there was a, a pending crisis, so they sent out the flag man 
at a point way earlier so he could wave the red flag and warn the train. And so the, the man did that. The, the flag man heard the whistle of the train, and, um, and, and the train just whizzed right by him. And then before you knew it, it started approaching. Seeing that train load of kids, it, it sounded the whistle, and there was nothing they could do. And it was a horrible, tragic uh, crash with great loss of life. And, uh, and there was an inquiry, as there will be. How did this accident happen? And um, so the, the, especially the engineers, those that lived, the flagman, they were all called the engineer of the train that, that did it. And the flagman um, asked him, First, at first it was the engineer that was driving the train. They said, didn't you see the man waving the red flag? And he said, I saw a man waving a yellow flag, so I did slow down, but I proceeded. And then they got the flagman up there, and they said, what color was the flag that you waved? He said, I was waving a red flag, and the guy just blew by me. And there was this great discrepancy. So finally the court said, please get us that flag. And after a considerable time, they finally found the flag and brought it into the court and the answer was explained. It was, it was a red flag. But it was an old red flag that had faded and looked more yellow. So while the, the flag man was right that he did wave technically the red flag, the engineer saw that it was a yellow flag. He slowed down a little. Uh, but it ended up. That because the flag was misinterpreted, there was great loss of life. Now, H.A. Harry Ironside, if you've ever heard of him, a great preacher of old, he would use that illustration a lot, and he would say this. He said, oh, the lives eternally wrecked by the yellow gospels of the day, the bloodless theories of unregenerate men that send their hearers to their doom instead of stopping them on their downward road. I love that. The bloodless theories of unregenerate men. In other words, you take away the sacrificial blood atonement of Jesus Christ and the necessity of his death. You preach works and hey, you're okay, I'm okay. And oh, the, you know, waving a yellow flag when you should be waving a red flag. I am so thankful that at the age of 17, there was a man that I'd come to find out had only just gotten saved himself that was willing to do a Bible study and tell a bunch of kids something they really didn't want to hear, that we were lost and needed a Savior. And I'm so grateful that somebody loved me enough to tell me. Let's pray. Father, help us to take heed. Lord, thank you so much for Jeremiah. Lord, I am certain that he, I know he struggled, and, and it's clear that he struggled with um, discouragement as a weeping prophet. He lamented, he warned, he loved the people, but apparently nobody took him seriously. And you eventually brought King Nebuchadnezzar in, and exactly what he said for so many years came true. And, and Lord, I know that Jeremiah's attitude was not, I told you so, uh, that he was devastated. And Father, I pray that you would help us to be Jeremiah's, help us to be watchmen, help us to tell others lovingly of their need of Jesus Christ, Help us to warn others that there is judgment to come and there is a way to escape because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And Lord, we'll thank you for it. 
We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.